On Sundays in Lent this year, we are actually working our way through a number of stories in the Gospel of John, which are long stories. John has a way of telling long stories, but they're also great stories on all kinds of levels, in part because long stories can be long on details. And when John's writing, details just always mean something. Last week's long Gospel of John story was John chapter 3, and we had that nighttime encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, a very respected leader, religious leader of the Jews. By the way, nighttime. That is a detail that means things when John is writing. It's dark in John 3, and some of the dark is spiritual darkness. Nicodemus can't see very well. Today's long Gospel of John story is John chapter 4 and an encounter of Jesus with, with exactly not Nicodemus. Because today's encounter is a, is a light of day, not dark of night encounter. Light of day, maybe things will be seen. We'll see. A light of day encounter between Jesus and a very not respected, not leader of not Jews, who nevertheless will become one of the very first to see, or at least to begin to see, well, let's read the story and you'll see. The assigned reading for today starts at John verse 5 in chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 1 because there's a detail or two in verse 1, 2, and 3, and 4. And details matter. This is John. And so the Holy Gospel, according to St. John, the fourth chapter, glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more than comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The reason I included those first few verses that the lectionary suggested we uh, save 11 seconds by skipping over is because they include at least one way important detail that I think you just can't read the story and skip over it. That's the detail that begins when it says that Jesus in Jerusalem, which here's an air map, Jerusalem is here, and it says that he wants to go to his home base area of Galilee. This is up here. And so it says in John 4, verse 3, um, and this is way significant, it says that he had to go through Samaria, which is here. People from Samaria were called Samaritans. And if you read the Gospels, they come up quite often. Perhaps the most well-known Samaritan is the star, the hero of one of Jesus' parables, the good Samaritan, which is actually a shocking story because, because the Samaritan is the hero of the story and Jesus was telling the story by and large to Jews and Samaritans were people that Jews hated. 
It would be like today if, if he told you a story. And it was the story of the good, well, you tell me. Better yet, tell Jesus, who are the people you hate? Samaritans did actually have some Jewish roots from back in the day, way back in the good old days, when David and then his son Solomon were kings of a united kingdom, a united Jewish kingdom in the, in the whole area. But after Solomon... The northern part of the kingdom and the southern part of the kingdom split into two kingdoms that went their separate ways. The southern kingdom was called Judah or Judea when the Romans were talking about it. Its capital was Jerusalem. The northern capital of that northern country at that time was called Israel and its capital was Samaria. Samaria was both a city and an area. And these separate kingdoms with separate capitals not only had their own separate kings, they also had their own separate priests, their own separate places of worship, which already made the, the northern kingdom Samaritan Jews religiously suspect in the eyes of the southern kingdom um, Judean Jews who knew, I mean, they knew this for a fact, that the only place in the world to rightly worship the one and only one true God of the Jews was in the temple in Jerusalem, in Judea. That strained relationship with north and south was strained even further when the northern Samaritan part of the kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, Syria and a little more. And then over the years, Jewish Samaritans and non-Jewish Assyrians married each other and then others were thrown into the mix too. And the upshot was that by seven and a half centuries later, when this story takes place, as far as Jews in Jerusalem were concerned, Samaritans had so diluted and polluted and, and putrefied their race and their religion that they were about as Jewish as pigs. Jews in those days despised Samaritans. They got too near to them, or my goodness, touched one of them, or drank from a same cup, the Jew back then would consider himself unclean from, from Samaritan cooties, if you will, and the devout Jew would then have to go through a ritual washing process in order to go to a worship service at church because, well, I mean, you know, Samaritans, yuck! Even God doesn't want you around if you've been around one of them. Which takes us to John 4, verse 3, and it's where it says that Jesus wanted to go from Jerusalem back to Galilee, and so he had to go through Samaria. And if you look at the map and draw a straight line, that is exactly true, except that, you know what, it's not true. Jews, let's remember, Jesus was a Jew. Jews, back then, absolutely not ever on your life ever, cut through Samaria on their way to Galilee from Jerusalem. One of the reasons for that was because of the fact that Jews hated Samaritans and didn't want to get those spiritual Samaritan cooties. But the other reason was actually kind of a practical one. If you took that straight line from Jerusalem to, to Galilee through Samaria, it was actually pretty mountainous, rugged terrain. And so Jews, most often, if they were going on that trip, they would start in Jerusalem, go 15 miles or so down a pretty pretty rugged road, but then it was the Jordan River, and there was kind of this riverside, by and large, sort of flat road that would take you up to the Sea of Galilee, and then you'd hang a left, and there you were. Um, it was a little bit longer, 
But this was, this was interstate, okay? This was the quicker way. John 4, verse 3, Jesus wanted to go back from Jerusalem back to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. Well, what's up with that, people ask. And some kind of critical of Scripture will say, well, it's just more evidence that the Bible isn't accurate. John wrote these words. He didn't even know the lay of the land, and he didn't even know how it was with people. I don't agree with that. John knew the lay of the land. In verse 5 and 6, he describes the setting in more detail. He accurately names the region. He accurately names the cities in the region. He cites its proximity to an important landmark in the region, Jacob's Well. It's also totally clear, totally clear, that John understood that Jews and Samaritans had the non-relationship that they had. So why does he say, John, that Jesus had to go through Jerusalem to get from, to get, to go, go through Samaria to get from Jerusalem to Galilee when in fact no devout Jew would go through Samaria to get from Jerusalem to Galilee? Because some think, and I agree, these words had to weren't about geography or interstates. They were about mission. Jesus didn't come to earth to go around the mountains that are between us and where we're trying to go. He came to reach past the mountains and the walls and the biases and the sins that stand between nations and cultures and peoples and where God wants us to go and who God wants us to be. It was, after all, just last week that we heard John chapter 3's story of that Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to see Jesus while he was still in Jerusalem. And Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus that God so loved the Jews that he gave his only son. Right? He said to Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why cut through the mountains and the walls and the biases and the sins that separated Jews and Samaritans in order to go through Samaria where lived those people, those Samaritans, those despised people? Because Jesus was. And brothers and sisters, Jesus remains God's love going through anything and everything that stands between God and God's love for the whole world. Jesus is God's love climbing mountains and building bridges, not walls, to reach everybody who's anything places them on the other side of either mountains or walls. He will go through whatever it takes, even if what it takes is a cross. Which takes us to this story of Jesus sitting beside a well outside of a Samaritan city when a Samaritan woman comes to fill her jug and Jesus is alone at the well where she's come. His disciples, John says, are on a grocery run. And so it's just him and her in this unlikely place where he and she by all rights should have not crossed paths in the first place. This story shouldn't have happened. Keeps getting unlikelier. He should have turned away from her. He should have stepped away from her in righteous disgust. She is, after all, one of those hatedly unrighteous Samaritans. Plus, she's a she. 
She's a Samaritan woman. Righteous Jewish men in those days would not even talk to a Jewish woman in public, much less a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan sub-excuse, subhuman excuse for a female. Plus, she's been married five times, and now she's living with a sixth guy. And let's not kid ourselves, even in our much more relaxed culture about such things. If, if you divorce five times and then shack up with a sixth guy, even today the gossipers will gossip, and don't you kid yourself at all. However, before you start formulating opinions about this woman, gossipy ones, you do need to know that in those days it wasn't women who divorced men. It was men who divorced women. Women were second class in status. They did not have the legal right to divorce a man. Which means that you need to understand that this woman had not five times left a husband. She had five times been left by one. And maybe, it doesn't say, maybe one of them, maybe two of them left her by dying, but no doubt most of them, perhaps even all of them, it doesn't say, had left her by leaving her, perhaps because she'd been unable to give them children. So she was not an instigator who had ever filed for divorce. She was the victim who, of as many as five times, had been filed upon. Of course, people are people. People enjoy blaming victims. So you know what people said. You know what people said. They said, what's the matter with her? She can't keep any man satisfied. Jesus had all kinds of reasons. He could have never even been there in Samaria to have a chance to see her in the first place. He also, of course, being busy being Jesus... Once he was there, he could have turned from her without seeing her at all. I mean, fact is, the world's nobodies are unseen by the world's somebodies all the time. Jesus also had all kinds of reasons, once he noticed her, to then turn away from her, to reject her. Something not only other Jews had done, but also something five husbands had done. And also something even her Samaritan neighbors were doing still. John does, after all, tell us that she was out there at noon, which is not only a time when people can see, and she will see, but it is also the heat of the day. And there was not another soul out there because people didn't go out for water in the heat of the day. They went first thing in the morning or in the evening when it was cool. But not this woman. She came at noon when it was stifling hot. Why? Well, because the heat, though very hot, was less difficult to endure than the gossipy whispers of the gossipy whisperers. But this time when she comes, hoping as always to be alone, she realizes she isn't alone. There is somebody already there, sitting by the well. But she's come this far and she needs water. She's thirsty. So she doesn't turn around. She keeps coming and she sees this man and she can see that he's Jewish and she can see that he, unlike some Jews, would have done. He doesn't turn around to leave as she comes and so she steals herself for the scolding and the shaming that are about to be scolded and shamed down upon her. But it doesn't happen. 
he asks her for a drink of water, apparently unconcerned about Samaritan cooties. And he talks to her as though she's an actual person, not a nobody. And in talking to her, it becomes obvious that he knows things about her that are deep and deeply personal. In talking to him more, it becomes obvious that he's neither a scolder nor a shamer. In talking to him more, it becomes obvious that he's a man of God. In talking to him more, it becomes not not obvious, but, but a thought that crosses her mind that maybe, maybe he could just possibly be the one that the ancestors of both the Jews and the Samaritans had said God would one day send to his people the Messiah, the Christ. She asks him if he is. He tells her this is the, that he is. This is the first time he has said that to anyone, and it's for crying out loud her of all people, a nobody according to everybody, that he says it to. And so she ran back to the city and she approached the neighbors whom normally she preferred to avoid. And in speaking to them, she delivered what I think is, is, is arguably the least in-your-face evangelism message ever spoken when she said, Come see this man. He, he told me everything about me. You, you, you don't think, no, he's, he's not the Messiah. And they went to see for themselves. And before going back to Jesus with them, she paused and she thought to herself, she thought, wouldn't it be something if he was the Messiah? Because he did know all about me, but I'm I'm not feeling shamed or scolded or left or left out. I'm feeling, by God, so loved That's when she realized that in her haste she had forgotten her water jug out there at the well. And that's when she realized that she wasn't actually thirsty. And then she smiled because she remembered one more thing he'd said. He said that he was water. Water for our deepest thirsts. Amen.